Hello and welcome to the Righteous Remnant Podcast. If you'd like to support our ministry or find out more about us, you can do so at therighteousremnant.org. All right, this week on the Righteous Remnant Podcast, I've got Joe Steven, who is a friend of mine, and he has a podcast called the Kingdom Allegiance Podcast and a YouTube channel um, called Joe Steven. So you can look him up there. And um, Joe has uh, a pretty cool story that I wanted him to share. Um, But Joe, I first met you when you were a student at um, Biola, at the Bible Institute of Los Angeles, and you were involved with the House of Prayer over there. Yeah, yeah, we first met. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It really means a lot, and just so excited to talk with you. Yeah. And um, yeah, I remember when we first met, um, I met you at Burning Tree Ministries. That's where you were serving, and you were on leadership there. And um, I actually went with one of my friends from Biola. Uh, Me and Whitney, I think, were either dating or just got married at the time. And, um, yeah, we came to Burning Tree. It was like the only, it was our first experience with like a Korean church. Mm -hmm. And so it was really awesome. We were the only, you know, I think we were the only white people there, which was super cool. (laughs) Just, (laughs) you know, getting to have like such a fun time and getting to know the culture and just the people. And yeah, that was my first time I'd ever like officially met you was, um, at BTM. And yeah, we were serving with the House of Prayer. I think it was my sophomore or junior year. So that was probably 20, um, what is it now? 22. Um, so it was probably 2017 or 2018 mm-hmm. is when we first met and just got to talk with you. And you were the first first uh, pastor I'd ever heard preach the whole counsel of God's word. And so that was really powerful for me. Um, didn't hmm. grow up in church or anything what, what like that. What do you that, mean? But... What do you mean by that, Joe? I'm I'm curious. Yeah. So I remember sitting like specifically with my wife in the chair and I was like, why is he preaching out of the Old Testament? Because I think the church that I grew up in mainly taught out of the New Testament. If it was Old Testament, it was like, oh, the story of David or Moses. But it's like they never taught out of the scripture in the Old Testament. And so I was kind of like caught off guard by that. Got it. Yeah. And, and so, um, I remember her saying like, it's God's word, you know, like all of it is God's word. And so it was really powerful for me, um, just to hear someone talk about the wrath of God, but at the same time, the love of God and being able to bring those two together, because sometimes in Christian circles, they overemphasize one side over the other. For sure. And so it was really cool to hear the balance of those two, but yeah, that was our first experience together. And that was pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Was that kind of a culture shock for you coming into like a predominantly Korean group? And <laughs> yeah. What were some What were some of the differences? I'm curious. For sure. But you um, noticed. At least. I guess one of the things was just um, maybe I, I guess I don't really want to say in terms of like I'm trying to be sensitive with the word that I say like clicky. Does that kind of make sense? <laughs> yeah. Like you know very clicky in terms of just like the culture is very much. I mean you know coming out of South Korea and North Korea like it's very much so they they are tight knit community. Yes. And so for us it was it was very different right and serving was seen as like no we're we get to serve and we love to serve whereas I come from a background of like my multi ethnic church that I grew up in was like. 
um, you know, please serve. Like it was like more like begging yeah. and like asking to volunteer, <laughs> but it was like people just know like this is our, our duty to the Lord. And it was just such a precious thing. And we just loved like the fervor and prayer and just the passion and the zeal. And it wasn't always like experience based. It was like, no, we saw after God and we loved him with all of our heart. And it was the first time we'd ever been in a community that like genuinely went after God with everything that they had. And it was like, everybody did that. If you didn't do that, you were like weird, you know? <laughs> so yeah. that was really cool. But yeah, I wouldn't say so much like a culture shock in terms of like, I, I was like uncomfortable because I wasn't uncomfortable because I was with believers, you know, and that mm-hmm. was really comforting. But I think the culture shock part of it was just how much stuff you actually did together. I was sure. kind of like, not used to that, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, Bible study, church, like I get that. But then it was like, no, every day of the week we're doing something or we're at the house of prayer or whatever. And I was like, wow, they this really take their faith seriously, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was really cool. Oh, that's cool, man. Yeah, Koreans are notoriously cr- clicky. Like Koreans <laughs> yeah. love being around Koreans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. Which I, is awesome. I mean, it's so, cool, yeah. Well, I mean, it says a lot for you, like, you know, being a non-Korean, being able to come in and, you know, mm-hmm. feeling okay. And like, that's that's not easy to do. I've talked to a lot of people who have tried to, yeah. you know, be part of Korean churches. And it is, it's difficult if you're not Korean, you know? There's a yeah. lot of cultural, like, food references all the time and mm-hmm. humor. It's yep. a little different and... <laughs> All that for stuff. sure. So yeah, yeah prop, props to you and Whitney. Like that's a uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> good job, man. I know that was awesome. <laughs> well, it was funny because after we had like moved on from BTM and my whole like Biola, you know, career, I basically just went from like every year it seemed like God was placing us somewhere new, mm-hmm. and so that was really profound for me because again, the first year was like oh, I was in a nightclub in downtown LA, and they flipped it from a strip club to a church on Sunday. Jeez. And then sophomore year, it was like. Um, we went to this very like conservative, um, you know, predominantly white church. And then we went to BTM, which was all Korean. And we were like the only white people there. Mm -hmm. Then we went our senior year to like a predominantly Korean, but it was multi-ethnic. So the white was still the major minority, Um, but it was just all beautiful seeing the different sides of the bride of Christ and stuff. And just getting to see like, you know, two, three hour services and my, my family, my mom would come visit and she's like, what do you mean? We're going to be meeting from one to three, or we're going to be meeting from 10 to one or whatever. And I'm like, no, church is all day. It's a family thing, you know? (laughs) So, um, but we, we loved it. I mean, it was hard. I would, I will say that it was hard to like kind of incorporate into the clickiness, I guess I would say. Yeah. Like, like because we have the same faith and because we are of the same body, that was really beautiful. But it is hard for, from an outsider's perspective trying to then like hang out or whatever because they already have set friends. They already have like, you know, this is this is um, the normal for them. For sure. And so trying to trying to come into that normal and trying to like, oh, let's hang out or let's do stuff. It feels a little bit um, there's a little friction there because you're trying to. I, I get, I'm trying to think of the word to say, but you're trying to like bring yourself into that situation and like make friends and, and try to hang out. But it just seems like, well, they're already doing their own thing, you know, for sure. Um, so it's, it's hard, but I, I really enjoyed my time and just, yeah, 
just ha- just being there. And like, I remember specifically one Sunday, you guys had like this curtain that was like over the worship leaders. And I remember like them standing before us and explaining why they did that was because the worship leaders just wanted to focus on God. And then the rest of the um, students wanted to also focus on God. And so it was a really powerful thing, actually. We did it for a few weeks or so. Mm-hmm. And I remember like, it just was so pure and so precious. And like, the Lord did so much through that because we yeah. just honored that we just wanted to focus on him for a while. And yeah. that was really powerful. So that was cool. Never yeah. seen that before. Yeah. No, I remember <laughs> when we did that. We, um, you know, we put up a curtain, a pretty thick curtain between the worship team and the congregation. Yeah. And I remember it was part of, um, I was trying to train our worship leaders and worship team to, f- to not focus on the people. You know, right. don't focus on the people, just focus on the Lord and worship the Lord. And so we did that for, I don't remember how long. It was like a couple months we did it. And then, yeah. uh-huh. you know, the 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 way we fastened the curtain to the ceiling, I think it ripped out of the, the ceiling, something like that. So we're yeah. like, oh, shoot, we don't want to yeah. destroy our building anymore. <laughs> so we stopped. Yeah. But, it, you know, it, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I liked it. I like doing like, I like doing little experiments as a leader. Yeah, it's one of my sure. ministry philosophies. Is I try and do like lots of little experiments to see kind of what works, and you mm. know some things don't work, or some things are only good for a, a small season. But sometimes you stumble on some on something that is like really cool, and and yeah, that was one of those that I that's I, awesome. I, I really enjoyed. Well, yeah, man, um, that's super cool. Yeah, like like I said, um, yeah, I remember our students that went to Biola. I would try and encourage them to go mm. out to revive. Um, yeah, revive ministry, which was the house of prayer that you were involved with as a leader over there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and yeah, it, just be real, it was it was similarly difficult for a lot of my students who are more Korean because mm-hmm. the culture was was so different for them, you know. And, totally. Um, you know, it's hard. You know, and Koreans just being real, Koreans are bad at being <laughs> adaptable to other cultures. For sure. <laughs> like, yeah. I do think Koreans that's has, been true in your experience. Oh, for sure. For sure. You know, like I'm, I'm half, right. I'm half white, half Korean. So Mm -hmm. I never really felt like I fully belonged in the, in the Korean church. Mm. I don't speak Korean. I don't like Korean food. Um, I'm a bad Korean. That's the way I always put it, you know? (laughs) Um, so when I um, went to college, I left, you know, my, my Korean church that I had been at in high school and stuff like that. And I, I went to a predominantly black church. And then Mm. after that, I was doing stuff at a multi- cultural church you know so i've i've i spent a lot of time outside of the korean church um, yeah so yeah i had to learn to be a little bit more adaptable to some of the different cultures mm. and you know ministry styles and everything and, and and the truth is that every ministry is different you know every church is different emphasizes different truths have different um like deal breakers you know like you, yeah the hard part is no ministry that I've ever been part of has been clear on what they're really big about and what they're, mm. you know, and what they don't really care about. And, you know, you really have to spend some time in the ministry or the church to find out, oh, this is what they're really big about. You know what I mean? This is yeah. what they really care about. And, um, yeah. and it's always different, you know? So, yeah, being part of the Korean church, you know, I always joke around like the Korean church, it doesn't matter if you go to a Presbyterian Korean church or a Methodist Korean church or a Baptist Korean church. They're yeah. it, really the Korean church is its own denomination and they all kind of do things somewhat similarly. And, mm. you know, those denominational distinctives are really secondary or minor, you know, um like for sure. 
yeah, it's it's weird though. But before we jumped into um, some of your story, I did want to ask you because yeah. you were involved in the House of Prayer um, revive at Biola. I, I want to know what was your experience mm-hmm. like there. Like, how was that for you as a college student? Do you feel like that was valuable for you? Do you feel like were there things that you wish you could have done different? I just love to hear your experience. Yeah, I actually haven't gotten to talk about this very much, so it's really cool that you brought it up. Um, yeah, I was a part of Revive, so kind of the way I got introduced to it was I – so <laughs> my whole story about going to Biola is totally crazy, but I basically wanted to be an architect you know, right out of high school, um, and when Jesus came into my life and he changed everything, then I wanted to write and do poetry and, and teach and stuff. So then when I went to Biola, I kind of had this like, okay, I'm – you know. I do believe in the gifts and like Jesus healed my ankle. You know, I, I fell off a, a building in high school, shattered my leg. God met me that summer, broke all my chains off my life. Like that was a pretty wow, powerful yeah. encounter for me. So when I yeah. went to Biola, um, I like believed in the gifts and like, you know, I, you know, was like looking forward to having a community that believed that. And then I get in my classes and they're like, it's super reformed. And I'm like, I don't even know what reform means. I don't even know what that word is. It's never yeah. been in my vocabulary. Yeah. Um, I thought everybody, you know, had an experience like me that has had their leg healed and God has touched their life and changed them from the inside out. And so when I went to Biola, when I heard that Revive was on campus, I was like, well, I'm just going to go. I don't even care what it is, but I'm going to go. Yeah. And so um, we would go from like nine at night until whenever. Like we'd go to like midnight, one in the morning, but we'd be at like, you know, a classroom, a safe place on campus. And yeah, we would just worship and pray and pray for one another and operate in the gifts. And it was so beautiful because we saw God do so many different things on campus all throughout those four years. So first year or two, I was there. Um, I was only uh, like a participant of the Revive community. I, you know, was at the house of prayer and, you know, prayed and, and just was in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really surprising because Biola is less than 3% charismatic. So the whole community. Yeah. Yeah. So what? yeah, they came out with, it's like something like less than 5% is charismatic. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 And so <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Um, so Oscar Merlot, he headed up the uh, center for the Holy Spirit and the ministry there. Mm-hmm. And uh, they opened up a center that was huge because Biola really kind of like, or revive, sorry, excuse me, revive kind of like started just this like prayer. Like it it was started as a movement of just wanting to pray and just see revival on campus, whatever that looked like. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, praying for the sick and a lot of, you know, Biola's founders believed in the gifts of the spirit and operated in those. Mm -hmm. And so um, really revive existed to keep that spirit alive on campus of providing a place to operate in the gifts without judgment. And if you wanted to move in prophecy, go ahead, we'll test it. Like all of those things were just such a great experience. And when we started moving towards like house of prayer, that was really powerful because we started doing sets and I I led a couple of them. And um, that was my first experience ever doing something like that. Mm -hmm. Cause where I, the church that I was a part of when I got saved, never did anything like that. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know what house of prayer was. I didn't know, you know, a lot of people know of um, IHOP in Kansas city. Like I didn't know anything about 
any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it was just really cool. And, and honestly, uh, my wife, Whitney, she, you know, received the gift of tongues at revive. And so that was really precious to yeah. us and actually was able to later interpret tongues. And all of that happened through the ministry of revive, mm-hmm. just people being around us, praying over us, prophesying. And it was such a sweet, like such a sweet thing, um, and ministry to be a part of. And I was so grateful that I got to be on leadership for the last two years and of my college education and just pour into the students. And we'd go out and pray for students who needed healing on campus and just, you know, ask people how their faith is and what they need prayer for and just check in on people, you know, um, because there is, there is a lot of stuff that happens at Biola that a lot of people don't see. And um, partying and sleeping around and um, just people, you know, we had like an LGBTQ underground thing. They'd go around campus and protest with rainbow flags and all kinds of stuff. And so stuff was always happening at Biola. And it's not that everybody was just a Christian Mm -hmm. and some were just professing and some were really deceived and thought they were saved, but they really weren't walking with Christ. And so... Hi, babe. (laughs) And so it was really cool to have, um, you know, being a part of Revive and having that ministry was just such an amazing experience for me. I mean, there was hard stuff, too, because I was an RA at the same time. And that was really a really, really hard season of my life. So um, but it was also really rewarding being with Revive. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So my impression of Revive is it seemed like it was primarily student-led ministry, right? I didn't see right. like post-grad staff per se. It seemed like it was yeah. really student-led. Um and yeah, it just seems like um I remember when I I went I did my undergrad at Berkeley and I was part of a prayer group there and it was a student-led yeah. prayer group and it was really just because you know, we were hungry to see God move, to practice the gifts of the spirit. Um, to pray yeah. for revival, all these things that none of the campus fellowships at the time really seemed to be about, you know? And so, sure. you yeah. know, we just kind of did it on our own. And um, yeah, like, why aren't the campus fellowships doing this stuff? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I really don't know. I mean, I came from, from high school, so I got saved at 16. Mm-hmm. You know, God radically transformed my life. I started leading the Christian club on campus, um, would preach once a week. You know, I was I shared the, the teaching schedule with a co-leader. And, you know, I was praying on campus, and I remember... Uh, one time God asked me to go in front of my, my high school and get on my knees and pray. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what that looked like. I was just, I just obeyed. And Whitney loves this story because it freaked me out. Um, I went to the front of school. I literally, everyone was at lunch and I got on my knees and I started praying while the Lord like met me right there in front of the school. And I just started, um, oh no, it says internet's unstable. I still hear you. Are you there? <laughs> oh, yeah, the video connection is froze. No. Yeah, it's okay. We'll just wait a little bit till pause. You can back still in. hear me? Yep. Okay. Okay, your video's back now. Here, wait, could you turn your Wi Fi off? Oh, yeah. Because it's the internet's like, oh, it said the internet was unstable. Yeah, <laughs> no problem. Um, okay, yeah, so I basically, the Lord asked me to go. Uh, to the front of campus, and I got on my knees and I started praying, and he met me there, and I started weeping like uncontrollably. 
on school because all of a sudden I started feeling all of the things that God felt Mm -hmm. about the students, about what they're walking through. And I remember just crying so hard. And when I looked up and there was a whole circle of students like surrounding me and they were all like, are you okay? Are you okay? And I remember looking up in one of this girl's, this girl's face and she looked into my eyes and she, she belched, like screamed at the top of her lungs. Like she had just seen something scary. Mm -hmm. And I remember later the Lord showed me like there, he was like, I was in your eyes and she was terrified of that. Wow. And that was the first experience I ever had with like deep, like intercession or prayer or anything like that. So we started a a prayer ministry on my high school and, you know, we'd meet in the quad every Wednesday and we'd pray in front of, you know, the whole quad and just meet with faculty and students, but it was student led again. So I, I understood that and I got that, but I didn't understand why, like, you know, I've heard this before, but like a, a prayerless church is a dead church. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, when, when prayer is not the center, when, when prayer isn't the, the centerpiece of everything that you're doing, it's like, that's communing with God. You're, you're talking to him. You're, you're with him. You're communing with him. Yeah. And so when I saw that translated to Biola, it was like, oh, Revive's doing that. So yeah. that's why I was, I was really encouraged by it uh, because it was prayer and it was, um, being led by the spirit and operating in the gifts. And I was like, this is really awesome because what I was learning in class was the exact opposite of all that stuff. And uh, not that they didn't focus on prayer, but just like, you know, the gifts didn't exist today. And, you know, like, wow, they were, saved, they were straight saved. up teaching cessationism in your, in your classes. At they were, so, so they taught, so they were kind of fair in the sense that they, you know, gave both sides, but they aired on like, you know, well, we don't see it. You know, so it was more so like, well, I believe it. And I, I was kind of seen so, and I'm not, I'm not like boasting or bragging in myself at all, Mm -hmm. but like I was picked on a lot um, because the professors didn't have experiences that I had. There was definitely professors that were open about it and like, yeah, I believe in it. Mm -hmm. But the overall theme was like, we are a reformed community. And, um, and it's, and by reformed, you mean like Calvinist cessationist? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, there are, there are a number of charismatic reform believers, you know, for sure. Um, yeah. but the type of you're describing is more like cessationist Calvinist, something like that. Right. And yeah. so to the point where like, I would have to explain myself fully in classes with professors because they did not understand when I said, Oh, I was just a part of a deliverance ministry last week and casting demons out of somebody. They didn't, they had no grid for that. Sure. They didn't yeah. understand. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but I'm like, I'm saying there's a mixed bag, but the overall arching was like, you know, sensationist Calvinist. And that was kind of where my wife's background came from, you know, where she grew up not really seeing it, not really knowing about it. Very, very cautious about the gifts Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And so, um, you know, it was almost like it didn't exist because we didn't see it, Sure, you know? Um, And so, yeah, that was kind of my experience with Biola and just, um, I think it was a really, really good experience, but there was also really, really hard stuff because I didn't understand it. It was like they would even like pin us against each other in classes and have us argue each side like Calvinist, Arminius. Mm-hmm. And then I found out there's Molinus, which is in the center. And I was like, why don't we just get rid of all the schools of thought and just be like Bible believing Christians, you know, <laughs> like um, because I was just like, why can't it be both? And when I'd have like conversations about that, it was like, no, you can't be both. 
you know? Sure. So, yeah. Because <laughs> I, I just, you? I love, you know, yeah. bridging the gap. I want there to be unity. I just desire that a ton. So, yeah. 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 Well, I mean, do you feel like it's possible to have unity even with theological differences like Calvinism and Arminianism and all that? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, on uh, I, obviously, right, I think it was St. Augustine who said, on the essentials, unity, on the non-essentials, liberty, on everything else, charity. And I, I really believe that, mm-hmm. you know, with the essentials, right, Jesus rose from the dead. He is the Son of God. He is who he says he is. Mm-hmm. Um, he was born of a virgin. All of those things have to be central. Uh, but on secondary issues, it's like, well, yeah, we can still have unity, but like, I can disagree with you. I still love you. Still my brother, you know, right, sister. Right. Yeah, yeah, so, I feel the same way. Yeah. Um, now, I know, like, 2020 was a pretty tumultuous year for, like, the nation, sure. right? That was, like, the George Floyd yep. riots. That was, like, the BLM stuff. Like, yeah. it was going crazy. And, um, and But it was also pretty crazy for the church because it was, like, the COVID lockdowns and all this kind of stuff. It got insane, yeah. Yeah, so I know that you went, you know, you went through a good amount of drama through all of this um, in going yeah. back to your church. I would love for you to just share, you know, like what, what happened to you in 2020, man? Yeah, I wrote down quite a bit um, because 2020, even going up to 2020 was like 2019 was kind of crazy in and of itself. Um, Cause I had just graduated Biola and then after I had graduated Biola, we were like, okay, let's just stay in LA one more year and then let's just figure out where God wants us to go. Love you, babe. Love you. Um, let's just figure out where God wants us to go. And then basically from that point where we like everything started to unfold, right? Like, and, and again, I didn't know anything leading up to this. Not like I was behind, you know, on the dark web searching, like what's going to happen in 20. No, I feel like nobody knew unless you listen to Alex Jones or something like that. But, uh, yeah, it's like, unless you listen to someone like that, I don't, um, coming up to 2020, we were just like, we're going to, we worked at Disneyland. We were at the, um, we worked at Splitsville. So we were in downtown Disney and then I had moved away cause I wasn't getting enough hours. So I had moved away to another job, um, at Chipotle. So just working odd jobs, trying to make some money, trying to get by. And, um, that was a miracle in of itself living in LA and having a minimum wage job is kind of crazy. But, um, yeah, so we went from living in LA to then, um, literally Whitney got like put on leave from Disney because everything started to shut down. I, I got shut down last the mall, but Disney shut down. And then literally the next morning, Whitney got an email saying, Oh, we're terminating all 300 employees. Wow. So like, well, Whitney's out of a job. So let's just see how long we can keep going. Obviously, LA was the first one to just be like, everything's getting closed, right? So then uh, I was talking to my general manager almost every day, like, what's happening? What's happening? We need to pay rent. Like, obviously, everyone was was concerned about those things. And so then they end up shutting down the mall. And I was like, well, we have no jobs. So and he can't get a job because everything's shut down. And so people started going on employment and I was like, we're just going to go home. We literally packed up our stuff. We paid off the remainder of our rent payment to the the complex because we only had like two or three months left. Mm-hmm. We paid off the remainder of that. And then we ended up moving home within a week. We wow. moved back to San Francisco Bay Area with family. So that was pretty crazy in and of itself. So I'm going to kind of try to stick to the notes if I can because yeah. – 
Um, I wrote it out just to kind of keep my thoughts coherent yeah, no so I'm not all over the place. So, yeah, so we moved home from family. Things got crazy right off the bat with family. I had both families, my mom's side and my dad's side, were both like kind of very scared of everything. Listening to the news, I kind of just was okay, listening to the news, but I can't just stay on my butt and not work. So we got jobs at Target, you know, did the whole mask up, everything, social distance, all the things that everyone said to do for the first couple of weeks. And I remember like a couple months went by and I kind of did a little bit more research, kind of started listening to doctors that were being censored and told not to speak about it. And I was like, well, if there's two sides to this thing and there's doctors saying we shouldn't wear masks and there's doctors saying we shouldn't get vaccinated and all this stuff. Um, I was like, well, I should consider both sides and not just be so quick to make a judgment, right? Because Proverbs talks about that. The Lord's been teaching me that recently. That Proverbs says, you know, the first who states his case seems to be right until the other comes and examines him. Right. And so I want to be quick to, to listen. And to not be so quick to speak and to share my opinion. And I I felt like that's kept me from a lot of trouble Mm -hmm. in my life. So, um, yeah, my mom's side and my dad's side were both kind of against it in the beginning. Me and Whitney stood pretty strong the whole way. Um, We said, we're not going to mask up. We're not going to get tested. We're not going to get vaccinated, you know, for personal reasons, medical reasons. And then uh, that just made everybody mad. Because so, we actually took a stand against something. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we said, you know, the culture, I kind of, you know, when I did a little bit of research, I started going really deep into our history, even in America in the last hundred years. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what, this is the exact thing that Hitler did at the beginning in 1933, he declared a state of emergency in Germany. And then that's when he slowly started to strip the rights away from the people. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it is literally the same stages that he did, just it's now being repeated. Right. And so I'd start calling that out and I would start saying it and being vocal about it. Well, my mom's side got really nasty and hateful and mean, and they ended up like completely stopped talking to us. Um, now, like, this, com- this was because you would not get vaccinated? Was that the primary reason? Because I would not mask up. That was the main reason. Yeah. So basically there was a whole situation in my family where uh, my grandma needed to be moved to an assisted living facility and um, that caused a lot of infighting. And then from that situation, I kind of got involved because I'm the only grandson. I'm the only boy like in the family. It's a whole family of girls. And um, I kind of had to step in with my mom to kind of try to combat this stuff. One of the relatives stepped in and was really hateful and mean and just spewed all these falsities. And they said, we're going to kill my grandma because we're around her. We don't mask up. We don't vaccinate all of this craziness. And we said, if she doesn't want us around her, we made this agreement with my grandma. If she doesn't want us around, we won't be around. If we're sick, we're not going to be around her. You know, we because we know she's compromised um, health wise. And so we want to respect that but if she's the one that's saying she wants to see us we also want to respect her wishes and come see her right and so that created a lot of tension um our family said we were grandma killers and that if she dies it's going to be on us and it just caused a lot of hate and a lot of animosity and i really came to understand this last two years what the word malice actually means um, because it's the evil intent in your heart to wish ill will on somebody. Sure. Yeah. And so um, that was very evident in my family. And so on my dad's side, 
you know, they were very like, it went from, okay, like we're going to be safe, wash our hands, you know, mask up if you want to, to like, no, let's hang out. Let's just spend time together. You know, time short. Like they kind of came to the understanding that like, you know, we're not promised tomorrow. And so we're going to spend time together as much time as we can. And we're not going to, we're not going to let the government tell us if we can be with our families during the holidays. And, Right. You know, just they realized a lot of it was fear propaganda and just me staying consistent. I think that was the biggest thing, just staying consistent and being a man of conviction and courage and not willing to just bow down to anything. And so I I, I, I told my dad, I remember telling my dad, like, like, you know, I feel like what the government is doing is they're erecting a golden calf and they're telling us to bow down to it. And I said, I'm not going to bow. Like, like the Israelites were already tested in this, like Aaron fashioned a calf out of gold for the Israelites and they, they worshiped this false God. And I said, and this is what is happening in our country. And I will not bow down to anyone but King Jesus. He's the only one that I will bow to and I will listen to. And I will not, I will, I will obey man. I will obey God rather than government. Um, when it comes to bodily autonomy and loving Jesus with everything that I am. And yes, I love neighbor, right? But they started to manipulate the narrative and they started to say, well, the most loving thing you could do is to get vaccinated, is to mask up, is to care about someone else. But when you actually go back into the science and you realize, no, all of that was actually for yourself. So it's it's selflessness masked, but it's actually selfish. Yeah. And but- so that was crazy. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not a vaccination expert. I assume you're not, right? Like, no. I'm. I by the way, I never got vaccinated. Um, yeah. Right, and and yeah, there was some like I had some people that were upset at me for you for know, some sure. of those things. And to me, I would never got to the place where it was like, no, I am sure this vaccine is evil. Or, or wrong or unhealthy. I never got to yeah, that place. Yeah, for sure. For yeah. me, it was always, um, I don't see enough evidence that the the yeah. pros outweigh the cons. And for sure. what I do see is a lot of control, right? I see a yeah. lot of control. And that's what you're alluding at here. You know, this idea that there's this pressure, right? Yep. And, and this pressure, like if you don't do this, um, you're not loving. If you don't do this, you're rebellious. Mm-hmm. If you don't do this, you're yeah. thinking about yourself. You're selfish. All these kinds of manipulation tactics. That's really what it is. It's manipulation tactics. Yep. And I saw that really clearly. And generally speaking, yep. if I sense that someone's trying to coerce me into doing something, naturally, my my tendency is going to be like, um. I'm gonna I'm gonna naturally resist that. Like I'm not going to be coerced into sure. doing something yeah. unless I feel like it's wisdom, and that's what I hear. Yeah. And you know when I when I hear you, Joe, you know you looked back into American history. A lot of that is is part of my mentality on this too. Like America has yeah. a very strong um, value for limited government, right? Yeah. Like that is really the founding value of our entire nation right like sure. one nation under god all men are created equal the whole idea of that is that the government 
it, they're not made better. We don't have kings and nobles who yeah. deserve to boss us around, right? We're all equal people, right? The president is well, somebody that we elect, you know, for for four years, and we make sure there's plenty of checks and balances to make sure he doesn't go crazy and stuff like that. Because anybody given power is tempted to abuse that power, right? And for so sure. resisting tyranny or govern the government encroachment of, po- of power is a very um, strong American value. And I feel like yeah. that's a very healthy value. I feel like it's a right value. I feel like it's a God-given value. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of my concern was that it's it's so clear to see how these historic American values have become eroded in our times, right? Yeah. And, you know, yep. we're standing saying, hey, government doesn't have the authority to do this. Like, I remember when they're shutting down churches, Right, yep. the, the governments, yep. these state governments, local governments, are sh- trying to shut down churches. I remember I, I was posting on social media saying the government has no right to do this, and I got pushback from Christians. Like Christians yep. were pushing back against yep. me, telling me <laughs> yep. I was wrong and I was being unloving, and I was shocked. I was like, "People you were in ministry with, huh?" Oh yeah, I mean it. It was shocking to me. I was like, "I don't know if this is because you don't understand the way American law mm-hmm. works." Or it's just you're so much under that that media influence that's saying this For over sure. and over again, or you don't you know you don't understand the right um, you know to assemble right the right the freedom of religion like there's so many rights that are specifically designed to protect specifically religious gatherings right religious yep. gatherings have to yep. be one of the most protected things um, by the founding fathers yeah. and um, you know the idea that church leaders were so willing to give up that right and not only willing to yeah. give up that right but to start actively um persecuting those who refused yeah. to give up that right that honestly was shocking to me i was i was shocked by that and to be clear they were wrong they were 100% yeah. wrong <laughs> Right, like yeah. the courts totally unanimously, yeah. you know, ruled in favor of those yeah. churches that continue to gather because they have that right. The government does not have the right to under stop any them, circumstance to stop them from gathering. No, and um, it it was shocking. I have not received any repentance. I don't know if you have, Joe. Right, but <laughs> I mean, to be to be clear, like yeah, I, my my heart here is not to bash those for leaders, sure. Okay, those are my dear brothers and sisters in the Lord. And, um, but these are important lessons. These are important lessons. Mm. Like, from what I can see, every church that I know of that shut down suffered for it in some ways. Yep. Every church yep. that I know of that stayed open benefited and gained from it in many ways. Like, most most of the yeah. churches that stayed open um, grew a lot. Because all those Christians oh, yeah. that, you know, wanted to continue to worship and stuff like that, they went to their those churches, you know? For sure. Um, and, I, you know... I'm not saying that church attendance or growth is the end-all, be-all stat for blessing no. or anything like that. Yeah, of course. Um, but I am saying, I, yeah, a, a lot of the churches that shut down, in my opinion, suffered a lot for it. And, yeah. and and I'll be right there. You know, like I was on staff at a ministry when all the shutdown stuff was happening, you know, and um, the leader of that ministry asked me, you know, what do you think? Should we shut down? And I, I just told him, I don't know. Like, I don't know what's going on, you know? And my first tendency is like, hey, the government's saying that, you know, we should shut down. They're saying it's that dangerous. Like, yeah, let's go ahead. Let's, you know, let's put stuff on pause for a bit, you know? Because at the beginning of the right. pandemic, 
nobody really knew. There wasn't that much data out there, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, but after several months, I I think the data became clearer and clearer. And um, you know, yeah. one of the stats that I heard, I think it was John Stewart. I, I don't remember for sure, but I think it was John Stewart mm-hmm. who quoted this, or Bill Maher. I think it was Bill Maher. Talked about yeah. like if you ask a Republican, you know, what percentage of people who get COVID are hospitalized, right? The Republican said something mm. like very few, like under one percent, something like that. If you ask a Democrat, what percentage of people who get COVID are hospitalized? They says it's like fifty percent, right? The average Democrat thought that fifty percent of the people that got COVID were hospitalized, right? Because the media showed that exactly. It was media, yeah, and um, it, that is such a telling statistic. It's yep. it's so telling because that's why they reacted to you the way they did. Yeah. Because they they yep. were convinced, no, if you get COVID, there's a good chance you could die. Right? Yep. In reality, the the chance is like way under one percent, especially if you're not it's old less than with like half a percent comorbidities, yeah. right? Like if you're like a, a younger, healthy person, the chances you're gonna die of COVID are so incredibly low. But yeah. you know, if you were listening to you know, the mainstream media, that is not the impression that you got. And so, yeah, I know a lot of people were very mm. freaked out about about the virus. And I understand why, given yeah. that, you know, given that type of misinformation, they would react like that. I, I understand to some degree, right? But at totally. the same time, we're now in 2022, right? Like the yeah. data is out there. And frankly, oh, yeah. those who acted in that way should be repenting. I just say this lovingly, all right, because they bought into a media manipulation. They bought into this yeah. stuff, and I understand because it's very difficult. Like I, I said in 2020 that I think we're in the in the greatest mass brainwashing in American history, and I still think that's true, right? Um, I had said something similar to that. I said twenty in 2020, God said this is going to be the year of great exposure. That's what He had showed me. Yeah. I mean, yep. it was it was a mass brainwashing, and we're still to some degree in it, but yeah. um, the day's a lot clearer, obviously, right? The government has lifted all the mandates and, and, and whatnot, and it's not necessarily sure. because, you know, the danger of COVID has disappeared, per se. It's, it's you know, it, and it showed that the lockdown was not really effective, right? Like right. John we, Hopkins University said that. Yeah, yeah, like it, you know, to some degree, we've reached some some level of herd immunity at this point, right? And it's not perfect herd immunity, but that idea of herd immunity was totally um, ridiculed early on in the pandemic. Yeah. People were like, "That's the most ridiculous thing." You're talking, you know, Biden <laughs> talked about the winter of death, right? Like, yeah. I think he was talking about last winter. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like <laughs> three months ago, he's talking about the winter of death. You know, and it's like. Yeah. I remember well, when he, he like it was like a word curse over America. Oh yeah, I remember when I yeah. heard that. I was like, does he does he actually believe that, or is he just trying to manipulate? Like, I, I oh I, totally. I don't know. Like, I don't know if he actually believes that, or right. if it's just a pure manipulation. You know, and um, yep. that's where we've been for the past couple of years. We have been in a mass brainwashing. And, um, you know, as somebody in your situation who said, hey, I sense like I sense I'm trying they're trying to manipulate me. They're trying to control me and I'm yep. not going to do it. And I I look at that. And to me, Joe, that looks like courage. And I know mm-hmm. that, um, you know, it was hard to have that kind of courage because you got real persecution in this case from from family members. And to be clear, I'm sure you love 
your parents, I'm sure you love your family, yeah. all of those, you know, but I'm sure it was, it was hurtful, right? It hurt, right? Being accused of all these kinds of things. Um, yeah. But look, I just want to say from my perspective, man, it, it looked like courage to me, man. Yeah, I appreciate that a lot. It's, And I was going to lead into the, the next point too, which was perfect transition because I, I, it was hard. Um, I will say that. And I do want to agree with, uh, you know, most of what you said was, was super on point with that because I feel like there was so much fear and I want to speak a little bit to the church aspect because I came back from Biola. So I was commissioned from my old church and I'm, I'm going to, you know, have them remain, remain anonymous. So I just honor that. Um, and so I came back to my old church and I had got my, you know, Bible degree. They sent me out to get my Bible degree to come back and they said they might have a position for me. And so I come back and I remember sitting down and asking them, you know, what's going on? And they were closed down. They, you know, it was a pretty big church in our area and they ended up closing their doors. And I remember sitting, you know, with one of the leaders and he just said, oh, well, you know, you know how it works around here. You're just going to have to work your way up. And I remember saying, like, thinking back to that, like, you know, is this being treated like some kind of business or this some kind of like this model of like, oh, like you have to work your way up in the, you know, that's how it works in the world, right? You have to work your way up in the industry so you can get to this position. I remember the Lord made it pretty clear that that door was supposed to shut. And so we ended up moving away from that. And because we had nowhere to go and everything was shut down, we actually... Um, it was, oh man, it was just so beautiful what God did. We actually started what was called church at the park. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was really, really powerful. So we went from, you know, being a part of like a pretty big congregation of people and, you know, having leaders and stuff like this to everything shut down. I think there was maybe like one or two churches that were open. I didn't know they were open. Most of them, I'd say 99% were shut down. And we just said, you know what? I got together with a couple of friends of mine, my wife, and we said, we're just going to sit together, worship, pray, read the word. And that's it. Like, we're not going to do anything fancy. We're not going to, we're not an LLC. We're not a church. We're just going to be with believers every single week. And we're going to make this a habit. And I remember that was such a fruitful and beautiful time in our life because for almost a year, like we would just show up at a random park in, in, in town and we would just tell people to come like bring people come however you want. You can wear masks, not wear masks, whatever you can be away, not hug. We don't need to lay hands on you. God can still move. if We don't lay hands. Like we made it very like, you know, open to whoever wants to come. And I remember even that brought more persecution than me just standing up and saying something about what's going on. Mm -hmm. You know, old leaders that I had mentors, old leaders, like they told us we were spiritually dangerous, that um, we didn't know what we were doing. We don't know what it's like to pastor a flock of sheep and we don't care about people's health and safety. And I'm like, we're not forcing anybody to come. Like we're telling people, come, if you want Jesus and you want to just be a believers, come. And, and they came like in, in like, like tons, like twenties, thirties, like they came yeah. and literally we had one guy show up and he's like, Hey, I have a mobile baptism tank with water from the Jordan river. Let's dunk people every week. And so I'm like, let's go. Uh -huh. So literally we would just preach the gospel. We'd go through a chapter or two of scripture, just read the word and allow it to come in and change us and just talk about it like a family. Mm -hmm. And we'd get in a circle and we'd all just talk about it and dive deep. And I remember people saying like, this changed my life. 
life. Like I needed this. Like we're going through so much stuff and people would share what they're going through throughout the week and what it's like standing for their faith in the workplace with all the fear and the propaganda and the manipulation. And we'd encourage each other to stand boldly and to continue to be faithful to Jesus and to not hold back Mm -hmm. the truth. And people would stand up and be like, I want to get saved. Then they got baptized. One girl got baptized. And as she came out of the water, her boyfriend proposed to her right there. And it was just like so awesome. And yeah, I mean, that was just such a sweet time. But again, like you were just saying, it brought so much persecution. The old church that I was talking about, many leaders reached out and said we were being dangerous and not wise and not, you know, being obedient to government. And, you know, how dare we try to steal the spotlight and all this stuff. And it was like... We just love Jesus. Like we just, he said, do not forsake the gathering like some have practiced. Right. And I was like, he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. Why are we shutting the gates of the church that doesn't even belong to you? It's his church. This, the body of believers belongs to Christ. And he never said that anything would get in the way of it. Right. So why are we stopping it? You know, and so I just, we had this real vision of just wanting the bride of Christ to just meet, to just gather, to just sit. And I'm telling you, people would stay like literally we'd get done like praying for each other, reading the word, worshiping, and people would just sit and just like, just like be in awe of like what God was doing. And it was so simple because it's like, we just read the word. We just prayed. We just worshiped together and we just prayed for each other and we went through life together. Yeah. And I remember, you know, people just saying like how blessed they were because of that time, because they couldn't go anywhere else because the people that they trusted, the leaders that they looked to, the, the churches that they thought would stand strong in times like this started to fold. And I said, you know, if our brothers and sisters in the Middle East can literally risk their life every single day or in China, in the underground church, knowing that when they walk out that door, they might be persecuted and literally burned at the stake, we can meet at a park and handle some, you know, off comments from other leaders that don't agree with us. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. that built was built really strong. And, you know, I had um, an old mentor, which was really, really hard for me because I came back not really having anybody. Like I said, you know, I kind of moved away from that old church and that old mentor really, really came after me. I started being really vocal about my belief on abortion and what the Bible has to say about it and how we should be not living by fear and in the current culture and what was happening in the manipulation like we just talked about. And, you know, I would get hate comments and he'd comment on there and be really hateful and mean. And then he'd private message me and call me an idiot and curse me out and all kinds of stuff. And this was a person I trusted. Like I, I literally was under his mentorship for years and trusted his family and loved him. And I've forgiven him and I love him and I hold no, nothing against him at all. But then he would go and post what he had just said about me publicly. Yeah. And, you know, and it was just such a tarnishing, like there was so much mistrust and confusion and like, I'm just like wanting to just obey Jesus and love him. And, um, that was a very confusing and a hard, hard time to go through that. But that was more into 21 um, because we were still in the heat of everything, especially in California. So, um, yeah, I, I understand that very well. Yeah, man. Um, Bro, I just want to say good job. I just want to say good job, man. Uh, and that's, it's so wrong. 
it's so wrong. Like, dude, you're you're a young leader right out of undergrad. Yeah. You're calling people to gather to worship the Lord in a park. Um that's something you should have been commended for. That's something the leaders around you should have commended you for, you know? Yeah. And instead you had to deal with you know, like their dishonor and slander and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, um, yeah, gossip too. Yeah, Yeah, man. They would share stuff to other people just to tarnish us and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, man. I just, you know, just as a a leader in the body, I just want to say, I'm sorry. Cause I, I know, I know this, this kind of stuff happens and, um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. It means a lot. Yeah, man. It, it, it's so problematic. And, um, and I just want to commend you, you know, your attitude also just like forgiving them. Hey, like, you know, you're not coming out here and naming the church and bashing on them or anything, you know, like you're trying to honor them in return. And I just want to say, look, man, from my, from my perspective, you're doing a great job, bro. Yeah. I appreciate that a lot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's hard, man. When you think back on all the things you've kind of walked through and just, yeah how hard it's been it's but it's been so rewarding you know out of this experience i was gonna lead into this other thing too is like we started getting plugged into another church and that church was pretty good for a while you know like they were preaching the word for a little bit and then they ended up transitioning and having um, some leaders come in and they just appointed them And, um, that was a really interesting experience because they went from like, okay, like, you know, they're going to preach out of the Bible to then they like appointed these leaders. And then we started hearing like weird stuff come out of the pulpit. And this reminds you, this is, we're still like kind of in a charismatic circles for the most part, but this was like hyper charismatic. And so it went from like being a part of a kind of charismatic to then hyper, um, and they went from like, those leaders didn't hold that the Bible was the word of God. And so that was really, really hard because we had some, you know, people that we knew sit down with leadership and they said, well, you know, the Bible was written by man and you can't trust it. And, you know, so I rely on my experience, mm-hmm. um, when it comes to, you know, God and what I believe about him and, it was weird because again, through all of this and, and again, when I'm sharing the hard stuff and, and the thick, like the deep parts of, of my story and what's happened the last two years, I'm not saying like, woe is me? And, oh, this, you know, really sucked. Like genuinely, like what God brought me through all of that, because a lot of people can get jaded. And I just want to say for whoever's listening, like can get jaded from experiences like this, but I found that God's nearness and his presence was even more real to me. And Jesus was more than I needed in those seasons of my life and in those circumstances, because he drew nearer and he, his word became clear to me and all of the things that were fake and were false. Like I said, he had told me this is going to be the year of great exposure in 2020. So when I saw it for what it was and he showed me, it was like, I explained it to people. I almost had like x-ray vision. I could see the false and I could see the real and I could discern, right? He trains our senses to discern what is good and evil. And that's exactly what had happened to me. And so I just wanted to encourage somebody, whoever's listening that, you know, God is near to you in all of those things. And so, um, 
this transition that the church went through, they started taking like scripture way out of context. And I remember we even had a couple conversations about that. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, how do I move forward? And so God ended up leading us to this other church. And I'm going to brag on them because they're awesome. They're they're called Valley Church. They're here in, here in Vacaville. I love Pastor Jeremy and Pastor Josh and Isaac, all of them that are there. And um, man, I am so, so amazed at what God has done through that church and just our own personal transformation. Like literally from the moment we walk in, like the worship is powerful and, you know, they preach from the word every single time they talk about something. I'd never been in a congregation where the pastor like teaches from the book of the Bible and it's like verse by verse almost, you know, exegetical. So literally I've been there for a couple months and they're literally still in the book of Romans. Mm-hmm. And it's, and you're going to love this title. The whole title series is called critical grace theory. <laughs> nice. And so, and so it was really cool. I just love, like, I love that he's super, you know, he's very vocal about cultural issues when COVID happened and things are happening. He's been just like you, very vocal, mm-hmm. very honest. Here's the stats. Here's the facts. Here's what's out in the open, you know, and he doesn't hide anything. He's like, I'm 2A. I'm against abortion because the Bible says so. Like, uh, we love Jesus. The Bible is the word of God. Like, we allow for the spirit to move so Whitney can dance and she can flag and whatever. So that's cool. And so they're just open to that. And it's been really awesome to see, like, you know, having conversations with them. Well, we're not really reformed, but we're also not super charismatic. We're kind of like reform, reformed, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, I like to describe it like this they're like charismatics with a seatbelt, but that seatbelt is like the belt of truth, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, but I love, I love, love, love that church and Valley has been amazing, just unapologetic, um, on their stance on scripture and everything they teach always points back to scripture and they never veer from that path. That's awesome. And, um, I think I found, you know, I really appreciated, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, it was in March when uh, Pastor Jeremy got up and he said, this is going to be a message about COVID because this is officially two year anniversary of when everything happened. I remember him just saying like, you know, like we saw through the lies and like he was being very honest about it. And it was kind of one of those messages where they said, you know, sorry, not sorry. We're not going to apologize for speaking the truth. And I had never seen a church because for so long I had been a part of churches growing up where they didn't really touch on cultural issues. And it was all just kind of like, oh, Christians, you stay over there, you know, and just have your own corner and um, you do your own thing. And so it was really, really awesome to see, you know, a community of believers that just love Jesus and are very strong in the word and just they don't vary from that. And, um, you know, just are faithful to just obey him and everything that they do. So that's been a really rich time for us because we finally found people that, um, you know, because he said they did close down for just a little bit, but it was only a few weeks. And then they're like, we're opening again because we see what's going on and we're not going to have it. So I think what kind of going back to your original comment, um, what really surprised me was when strip clubs and drugstores were open, but churches were closed yeah. in California, you know? And I was just like, so you can go to the strip mall, but I can't go to church and be with my church family and the body of believers. And I was like, this is literally what Jesus had talked about, right? you know, calling good evil and evil good and, and trading the truth of God for a lie. Like, you know, I remember 
um, the governor of New York, the one that stepped in, she had said, go out and be my apostles. We need to convince people to get vaccinated and mask up and distance. And she said, you're my, you're my apostles, my disciples. And as soon as she said that, it was almost like I felt a check in my spirit was like, that is of the Antichrist spirit. And it's like been so clear to see through all of the lies and all of the junk that has happened the last two years to just, I'm so, I'm so grateful to the the Lord and just what the Holy Spirit has done in my marriage and my life and how he's shown up and he's been faithful to just open my eyes and to see the truth and to just love people where they're at. Again, like you had said, I'm not like super far on the spectrum where I'm like, you know, don't get it or do get it or whatever. It's like, I've found that there's a really beautiful middle ground where I can stand. And it's like, you know how they asked um, in the Old Testament, I think it was Joshua, right? Where they asked him, are you on our side or their side? And he said, no, I'm on the side of, of heaven's armies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I, I want to be on God's side. I want to be on the side of kingdom. And so if I can look at, you know, the issues that are happening in our culture and our world and be like, no, as long as I stand kingdom and be kingdom minded, then I know that um, I'm standing with Jesus. Then right. that's what matters most. Yeah, you know? yeah. That's great, man. Yeah, you know, when I look back on, you know, these couple of years, I just feel like I've definitely gone through testing, you know. Um, For sure. 2019, I felt like the Lord really started to speak to me that um, we were about to enter into a serious time of testing. And yeah. um, and I remember just praying that God would give me, you know, the roots that I needed you know, and um, and I remember yeah. I was trying to encourage my students also, you know, pray for deep roots. Um, mm. And and I, I think that's largely come true, right? The past couple of years have been like major testing for, you know, yeah. almost everyone to some degree. Even if you were like, you know, like just being real, one of the real tests for a lot of people is, hey, their church is shut down and they're doing Zoom services or something like that. And their heart is growing hard. Like that's a that's yeah. a real thing. And it's hard because in that place you're yeah. like, well, what am I supposed to do? My church isn't meeting, you know, like I'm doing what they're expecting me to do, but they know on the inside that their hearts are becoming hardened, you know? Yeah. And and just being real, like you can't stand before the Lord and be like, well, my pastors didn't do a good job leading me in that season. You know what I mean? Like, right. it, like this is a real test for lots of people where they really allowed their love to grow cold, their hearts to be hard, their vision to die out. And I, I just want to say yeah. it right up front, I totally understand. Yeah. Like, I understand how hard it was for a lot of people the past couple of years. Um, totally. So it, I'm, I'm not without mercy here because, yeah, I went through similar stuff, right? It was hard, you know? For sure. But at the same time, yeah. like, there's a lot of people, and I just want to say this, especially to, like, Korean people, right? Because I spent a good amount of time in the Korean church. Korean church, they're so yeah. used to depending on leaders, right, to mm. lead them and to guide them. Um, but the truth is all leaders have flaws. All leaders have weaknesses. And totally. in, in 2020, like you said, a lot of the flaws and the weaknesses of the church got exposed. And um, unfortunately, one of the aspects of that is if you are over-reliant on leaders to lead you, um, a lot of people stumbled because of that, right? Yeah. And that's why you have you have to get your own faith. You have to take your faith into your totally. own hands um, to some degree you have to know when to say no to leaders. Like, yep. just being real. Like, that's you know, that's part yeah. of the difficulty. And <laughs> I don't know about you, I've, I've been accused of being rebellious many times in my life by different leaders. 
you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and the first couple of times, it really threw me off, man. Like, totally. you know, I don't know how many times you've been accused, but the first time <laughs> I got accused, I it kind of threw me off because, yeah, like it's that's like the opposite of my heart. If anything, I'm actually afraid of being rebel re- being rebellious. You know, like yeah, you know, it, and so when I first got accused of that, I was so confused. It really threw me into confusion, and um, mm. I had to learn a hard lesson that way because I allowed a leader to manipulate me, and it went and it went terrible for me. And I realized after the mm. fact. Oh, it's because I was supposed to tell him no, <laughs> right? I was supposed yeah. to say no to him and like not yeah. come under the intimidation of being rebellious or the fear of that or the anxiety of that. But that was my first time going through that rodeo, you know? So I didn't know. Sure. So I learned a very important lesson there. Like, oh no, sometimes I have to say no to leaders to be obedient right. to God, right? And sometimes yeah. I have to do what leaders don't want me to do to be obedient to God. And um, that was a hard one lesson. That was a difficult mm. lesson. And I spent, you know, a year in like serious heart pain, you know, learning that lesson. So it's not one that I've forgotten. So I just say that because a lot of people, they, they, they haven't learned that lesson yet. They're just used to doing what their leaders tell them to do and ask them to do. But then the problem is sometimes your leaders lead you into a bad place, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah. And, you know, when we get into a bad place, it's natural for all of us to start blaming people, you know, like mm-hmm. God, and, and, and naturally for all of us, it starts with God, right? God, why did you allow me to right. get into this place? Yeah. Like, why why weren't you a better leader for me and all this kind of stuff? And um, and I just want to encourage people because yeah. I know so many people have been shaken over the past couple of years. Number one, refuse to accuse God of doing wrong. Okay, that was Job's lesson. Right, like Job was tested on that. Right, will yeah. he uh, accuse God of doing wrong? And to Job's credit, he did not. He had a lot of questions. Like it was like God really seems like you're not being fair yeah. here or just, you know. But he did yep. not accuse God of evil. So, and and that's really important. I went through a season where I accused God in my heart of doing wrong, and I got so spiritually mm. jacked up, man. It messed me up. And thank God, yep. um, you know, I'd listened to a sermon where the, the pastor spoke about accusing God of doing wrong, and I realized that's exactly what I had done. <laughs> and I, I repented, yeah. and um, and I started to get it's healthy good. again really fast. Um, so number yeah. one, refuse to accuse God of doing wrong, right? Um, and mm. number two, you, you've got to, number one, take responsibility for your own weakness and forgive all of those who, who wronged you or failed you in that season. Right. Yep. So, uh, number one, you have to take responsibility. Hey, I didn't have enough wisdom to know how to navigate this season. Right, man. If I had done this or if I had done that, you know, yeah, yeah, it, it probably would have been better. But the truth is, none of us have enough wisdom. <laughs> like that's what it means to be, For you know, sure. a human. Right. Like from the Bible's perspective, we're like sheep. Right. We're dumb. We don't have enough wisdom. <laughs> so that's okay. It's it's not yeah. you know a terrible thing to not have enough wisdom. It's a terrible thing to not be able to admit that you don't have enough wisdom. Right, like yeah. none of us have enough it's, wisdom. It's pride. Yes, yeah. exactly. Right. So just being able to go, hey, yeah, Lord, I recognize, man, I I did not have the wisdom that I needed mm. to in this season, and because of that, you know, I said some things yeah. or I did some things or whatever it might be. Like none of us walk through times of testing and trial perfectly. Nobody does. Right. Totally. Nobody walks through seasons of testing or trial perfectly, um, and so it's okay to be like, yeah, I lacked wisdom in this area, and then people wrong us. Leaders don't lead us as well as they could have or should have, right? Like 
All yeah. of that's going to happen. And you've got to be able to forgive those people, right? And Joe, when I look at yeah. you, I'm like, man, you. from my perspective, you did all those things, and which is why right now you're walking with faith, right? You're you're following the Lord. And I'm sure, yeah. you know, you've, you've had difficulties that you've walked through, obviously, but you're doing pretty good. You know what I mean? And I just want to, I just want to encourage those who are out there because I know a lot of people have gone through serious testing in this season. Um, Forgive everyone that you feel like has wronged you, right? Forgive them, right? Um, Refuse, refuse to enter into, you know, the type of divisiveness that really destroys a lot of believers, right? Refuse that um, and put your hope in the Lord because there's always... There's different seasons of life, right? There's winter, there's spring, there's summer, there's fall. Um, when we go through a collective winter like this, right, where there's testing and tribulation and trial, um, yeah, it's not going to last forever. It only lasts forever if you if you get, you know, thrown off the the trail, right? It it lasts forever yeah. if you make the decision to stop trusting the Lord and going your own way, right? Then you're totally. in a spiritual night that will last for a long time. Um, but if you're mm. following the Lord, no, we go through the valley of the shadow of death sometimes, right? He leads us into that valley sometimes, yeah. right? He leads us into times of testing and trial. Um, but that time of testing and trial does not last forever. It only lasts for totally. a season. Um, and then comes the, the summer rains, right? The spring rains, right? Then comes mm. the time of blessing. Um, and y- you have to have some confidence in that, right? That the bad times aren't going to last forever. The testing's not going to last forever. But this is one of the things, Joe, that I've learned over the years is that our greatest victories are won in times of testing. And oftentimes yep. our greatest victories don't look that impressive to us. We don't feel that totally. impressive. Like, you know, but I think from God's <laughs> perspective, it's very impressive, right? Peter talks about it in one of his epistles. He talks about... Um, the faith that has been tried by fire, right? Mm. And this faith is precious yeah. to the Lord. It's like gold, right? And um, mm. and I, I realize that much of this life is our opportunity to be able to go through that type of testing and mm. to be and to be faithful in the midst of that testing because that shows that our yeah. faith is real, right? That shows that our faith is real, and that's the faith that's precious to God. And um mm. and it's hard for us because it doesn't look so glorious, right? Like as for us, you know, <laughs> it's messy. It's yeah, messy. <laughs> for us, we always think of, oh yeah, God, you know, that time I preached that amazing sermon and like five people came to know you. Like that's the time, like you're so impressed by, and it's like, dude, yes, yeah, right. <laughs> and but honestly, I just don't think God judges like we do in that sense. Like those aren't mm. the times that really impress Him, right? Like like Jesus. Jesus, what impressed, like, it was in the garden, him saying, yes, Father, not my will, but your will Mm. be done, right? In this time of suffering and sorrow, he says, I'm going to obey you. I'm not going to choose to not trust you in this place, right? And he goes to the cross, and there was to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. As they're crucifying him, right? They're literally torturing him to death. And he's saying, Father, forgive them right and i to mm. me those are like the great victories of christ's life but those are not the things that um impresses people you know what i mean like they're impressed by mm. the miracles they're impressed by all the you know totally. those types of the things. showy stuff yes the <laughs> showy stuff but i just i'm just convinced those are not the things that impress mm. god right the things that impress god are when we're going through difficulty and nobody else is impressed by our decision to trust him 
right? Mm. Those are the things that really impress God. That's really good. You know, and and so I just want to encourage you because, you know, like, you know, especially like, you know, you're, you're in ministry kind of, right? Like you're doing podcasting and and YouTube and and I know ministry is a huge part of your heart and everything. And, um, you know, I'm sure it was disappointing for you when you're like, hey, yeah, I got my, my Bible degree. I'm ready to come on staff. And it looked like that door closed. And it's like, you know, and I'm, I'm sure your ministry career is not going in the way that you would have envisioned something like that, totally. you know? Yeah. Um, but I just want to encourage you, like, when I look at all the heroes of the faith, they all yeah. took a path through great trial and suffering before they were really yep. established, you know? And um, yeah. and because that's the way that the Lord trains leaders. Because I'm just convinced God is not so concerned about getting great leaders in this lifetime. Like, I, mm. I think he does want to. I'm not saying that's not part of his plan at all. Totally. But I'm, I'm just convinced, like, his primary purpose is to train us for our eternal roles of leadership. Yep. And because of that, he's not afraid to waste our time. You know, we tend to think of like, God, I'm, you know, like I'm already like 25, <laughs> God. You know, like I'm 25. Yeah. I'm like, when's this going to start? What are you, you doing? Know? <laughs> 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 you know, but Jesus, Jesus, you know, it. Yeah. If, if if Jesus is like, hey, you're only going to spend 33 years of this earth. Like, I I would not waste the first 30. You know what I mean? Like, you know, um, mm. but that that's part of the wisdom of God. Right, for sure, and um, you know, I I just want to encourage you that you know I feel like the the trials that you overcame in this past season, um, the Lord will vindicate those things, right? And mm-hmm. um, I just want to encourage you because I see in you someone who's like really just trying to be faithful to the Lord, um, and and I see you and I see you like working for it, and I see you running into trials, but to me they're the good kind of trials, man. You're running into the yeah. good kind of trials, in in my opinion. Yeah, and I I appreciate that a lot because, um, I was going to share. I felt like there was a couple of things that you said that really stirred my heart quite a bit. Um, one of those things was just, you know, the fact that you know we don't go through trials perfectly. Um, and that's one thing that I've really really learned in this season. Like, I definitely have lost my temper. Um, at times, and I've definitely have said some, you know, something that I shouldn't have, you know, to a family member. And, but I came back immediately and apologized and I made things right. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, because, because, and it's just so hard to not be boastful about myself or prideful. So I'm trying to say, I, I try to remain as humble as I can sure. because that's the only way that God can work with me is if I don't, if I'm not directly opposed to him, mm-hmm. um, because he says he resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so I want to be someone who models humility okay. for my wife, for my family and for my people in my life. And so when I mess up, like I remember, um, specifically, like I went to a restaurant in town and I wasn't wearing a mask and the employee just got really vulgar and mean with me and was harassing me. And I actually do have like a legit medical condition. So it's, it, I have asthma and it's really hard for me to breathe with the mask over my face. And I communicated that with them and it still wasn't enough. And they were like kicking me out of the store. And then a, a customer was sitting there shaking his head. He ended up cussing me out. And I had got wow. to the breaking point where I was really, really frustrated. And I literally said it. I said 
I said it angrily, and I said, you are the type of people that would have shuffled the Jews into the concentration camps. And that's what I, and I came off that way. I didn't curse at them. I didn't say that, but I tried to justify that behavior later on. And I remember sitting with just some family that, you know, loves Jesus. And they said like, that wasn't right. And I remember the Holy Spirit convicted me. I ended up calling the store. I called the manager. I called to talk to the employee and I apologized and I made things right. Because I said that wasn't the right behavior. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I don't believe what I said was okay. No matter what happens, I was upset. And I said, and I just want to apologize and make things right and seek restitution. And just for you guys to know that like, that's not okay. And that didn't represent Jesus at all. And I'm, I'm truly sorry for that. Yeah. And through that, it actually was really good because the manager was like very surprised (laughs) that I even called. He's like, oh, he's like, okay. Like he didn't know how to like accept that. Sure. Um, And then, you know, I had another instance where I had to apologize to a family member um, because I I mean, what I said was truthful, but I said it in not a loving way. Um, and so I've realized the Lord's taught me in those instances, it's like truth and love, right? I actually wrote this down. I said, um, truth and love, right? Speaking only truth will hurt someone. Speaking only love will coddle someone, but speaking both will bring, bring conviction and change. Yeah, that's good. And so when I, when I tended to speak only truth, it's like, I realized a lot of people around me would get hurt Mm -hmm. and it's not because my intention was to hurt them. It's just because it would come off snappy or, you know, just like a little bit irritated or whatever. And it's like, when I only spoke love, it's like, oh, wow, like they get away with it and it's fine. It's like, oh, I'm coddling them. But when the Lord taught me to match the two and to speak the truth in love, because I love you, I say this. And because I care about you deeply, it's like Jesus looked upon the crowd and had compassion on them because they looked like sheep without a shepherd. I want to model that compassion and that that love for people. And so I say all of that to say is that it's it gets messy, right? Like trials, like you just said, trials aren't easy and it's not perfect. It's not like you're walking through the trial and you're just, you know, happy-go-lucky the whole entire time you're going through the trial. Like you get tested to the point of breaking where you're you're at the end of yourself and that's where God says my power's made perfect in that. Yeah. Because my power is made perfect in your weakness, right? And so in that place where you're at the end of yourself, that's where he can truly step in and be everything for you. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're like, all right, God, I can't do this. Like everyone's coming after me. My church leaders are coming after me. My family's coming after me. My friends are leaving my life. Like, and I'm trying my best to stay faithful and live for you. And it's like, I'm alone and I don't have anybody, but I have you and that's enough. Yeah, You know? And, and that's, that's something that, um, I just wanted to encourage the listeners with too, is just, you know, no matter like what you said, no matter the circumstance, um, whatever you're walking through, like remain faithful to Jesus, right? We all are responsible for working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And that, that he had to teach me that the hard way, because again, I relied on these leaders. I relied on these friends. I relied on my family. It's like coming from an Italian, like European background, like you are very close knit and family's blood. And no matter what happens, you stick together. And the fact that, you know, it split apart and friends left and mentors turned their backs. It was like, what is going on in my life? Am I doing something wrong? And for the first time it was like, no, you're just standing for the truth. And they don't like that. You know, and um, I don't say truth in terms of like, oh, it's my truth. I mean, in terms of capital T truth, this is what the Bible has to say about these issues. And it's caused a lot of grief and a lot of people to turn away. And um, 
you know, it kind of leads into my, um, my friendship category, which is my friendships got really weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, when we kind of stopped doing church at the park, then, um, friends started meeting at this other church, which was before Valley. And, um, you know, they started slowly like falling away, not from the faith, just away from the church. They started doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. A couple friend of ours, you know, went and said, oh, we're just going to do church online. That's it. They went away. That got weird. Another friend was like, oh, you know, you're too judgmental. But it was like that person was living in sin and we would like hold them accountable to that and say, well, they don't want to, they would tell us they don't want to live in that sin. We tell them how to get out of it and to not live in sin because you can't say you live in the truth and practice sin. Like the epistle of John is very clear about that. Mm-hmm. So then they would say, we're judging them. They don't want us in their life anymore. That's fine. Um, you know, we had friends that moved out of state and they tried to reconnect with us. And then, you know, I would share things God's doing in my life. And because they weren't okay spiritually, they started attacking us because, oh, we talk about Jesus too much or whatever the case was. And so that friendship dissolved. And so I have one, you know, really, really close friend and another friend. Um, but it's like it's dwindled down to a few where it's to the point where it's like, man, I can call them and literally talk to them about my heart, about what God's doing, about my weaknesses, about my strengths. And it's like, that is what I need. Yeah, I don't need all these people that are saying they're following Jesus, or maybe they are, maybe they're not, maybe they're kind of on the fence, or maybe they're living in sin, or maybe it's like, I think the Lord just started to weed out, right? The separating of the wheat and chaff. And he started to weed out those things that weren't of him. And I was just like, you kind of have... I share this because I want to encourage somebody that if sometimes you go through things like this and you start losing friends or people you trusted or things that you thought were safe and secure because those things aren't actually are what are going to abide in the long run. Right. And God comes in with his pruning shears and the pruning hurts because he starts cutting off the things that are producing death in your life. And when those pruning shears come, you're like, I look like just a a bland branch, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it's like the fruit's not growing back yet. You know what I mean? Like I look like a stupid branch, God, I'm just over here. Like I got no leaves. I got nothing going on. And, and he's like, but I take, I, I trim back because of the beauty of what's to come and the fruit that's going to be produced in that. That's good. And so I would say to, to be encouraged to stay connected to the vine. And so um, kind of to wrap up where I'm at now is, um, you know, the Lord opened up the door to start kingdom allegiance ministry. I know we've had a ton of conversations about, um, just this idea of salvation being allegiant. And, um, you know, we started, we felt on our heart to start a ministry that teaches people how to follow Jesus biblically. Mm-hmm. And so Whitney has her own channel. It's called the good soil. Mm-hmm. And she basically, God gives her visions and she paints them. And then she uses scripture. God gives her the scripture to go with the painting. And then she teaches the word of God through her art. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really powerful. You know, we're plugged into a local church. We're growing, we're flourishing. Um, you know, I have those few deep, meaningful friendships, and those are really, really awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm blogging like super consistently, just writing exactly what the Lord told me to do before I left for college was to just write and be a writer and a poet. And so I've been blogging mm-hmm. at least once a month. I put a blog up and uh, I'm in the middle of writing my first book. So I'm writing a poetry book and I'm super excited about that. Just piecing together, like before I was a Christian, kind of when I became a Christian, my process and stuff, it's called uh, Honest Vulnerable Musing. So it's going to be about my journey from brokenness to wholeness and just how God's redeemed my life. And so a lot of like what happened the last two years is like, 
the Lord has taught me so many beautiful things and, you know, all of the hardships and all of the trials and all of the, what seemed like shipwrecks, you know, really became like the most fruitful and the most like the most beautiful seasons of my life because I found those few friends that are really there for me. I, I have family that is there for me, even though my other part of my family is not there. I have new pastors and mentors like you and and other people at my local church that are there for me and read my blogs and encourage and are standing in the truth the same way that I was standing in the truth two years ago. And I found that tribe now. And uh, my marriage is the healthiest it's ever been. Like I'm growing with my wife and, you know, we're working towards a goal of, of being able to afford our home in a couple of years. And that's really awesome. But just, you know, standing with the Lord and, and learning how to just be faithful at the end of the day, I just want to stand before God and be faithful to Jesus. That's okay. it. Period. You know, and so... um He's doing that in, in a couple of different ways. And I'll, I'll share this real quick is that, you know, one of, one of the things the Lord, um, uh, showed me recently was that, um, how, remember how I mentioned speaking the truth in love? Mm-hmm. Well, before it was like, Oh, I'll just speak the truth or I'll just speak love. But I didn't really know how to do both. And this is kind of a funny example, but I was at a restaurant one, uh, the other day, it was a couple of weeks ago. And this guy was really, really frustrated and upset and he was angry and he was taking it out on the workers and I'm there, I'm picking up food as well. And he looks to me and he like wants me to affirm him in his like his anger and his fear and his frustration. He wasn't fearful, but he was frustrated and he wanted me to join him in that and like be frustrated too. And so he looked to me for affirmation. I remember the Holy Spirit gave me the words as soon as he looked to me and I said, I said, bro, it looks like you need to work on your patience. And as soon as I said that, he like, his face went white and he was like, what? And I was like, yeah, it looks like God needs to teach you what it looks like to be patient. I said, he's done it in my life and he can do it in yours too, bro. And he like stormed out of there. And this couple that was watching, they were witnessing what, what was happening and they looked over at me and they were like, good job. And it's like, I didn't do it for that. Uh-huh. I didn't do for it for sure. that, right? Yeah. But it was like, I just allowed God to give me the words to say in that moment because this guy wanted me to affirm his dysfunction. And it was like, no, like you really need to, because the first thing love is, is listed as patience. So it's like, you don't love because you're not patient. You don't know the love of God because you don't operate in patience. Not saying you never aren't impatient and that's never going to happen. But I'm saying this guy was so vulgar and so mean that I was like, you don't know the true meaning of love. And, um, just teaching me things like that. He's speaking to me in my dreams a lot recently. I'm getting, you know, vivid dreams of like spiritual warfare and authority and things that are going on in my life and situations and how to overcome them and what I'm stepping into next. And he's just, it's so clear. And I'm just like, so honored that I'm in this place in my life and um, that he's teaching me all of these things. And, you know, like all I would say for anybody that's listening and is wondering, like, you know, is there going to be an end of the season? Every season comes to an end and there always will be highs. There always will be lows and everything in between. And so, yeah, it's been a long two years. Like (laughs) it's been a long two years, but in light of eternity, like those rewards, those crowns, those things that God is going to give me for overcoming in this life, like that is well worth the pain and the suffering and the, the trials that I'm walking through because I have an eternal perspective. I know that like what I'm working towards is not going to pass away. My treasures that I'm storing up in heaven, nothing will be able to destroy those. Right. 
And so I'm just really encouraged in this season. And again, I've, I literally have to give the glory to God because as I've stayed close to him, like he's never failed. He's always remained faithful. He's been by my side every step of the way. And there's been moments where I haven't heard him and I've had to move in wisdom and, and allow him to work through those decisions. And like, we've had conversations before, like he's a good shepherd. If I veer off the path, he's going to redirect me and he's going to correct me and, and put me on the right way. And so I've learned to trust him in his voice and just, you know, be a, a dumb little sheep <laughs> sometimes <laughs> and make some dumb decisions, but ultimately just For trust sure. him and yeah. say, all right, Lord, I just want to be faithful to you and, and obey you at your word the best in my ability. So it's good, man. It's good. I think it's Mike Bickle yeah. who, um, you know, he says, if you have a vibrant love for the Lord in this season of your life, then this season is a success. I think he's, I yeah. think he's hundred percent right. Right. Like the, the truth is, you know, I was, uh, I was just talking to, um, somebody who's graduating from undergrad soon, you know, and, and I was telling yeah. him, you know, yeah, you know, for most people, their life is pretty planned out until they graduate from college. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like there's a pretty clear path that their parents want them to go until then. And then you're at the end of the path and then there's just a vast expanse of like, which way do I go and what decisions do I yeah. make? And, um, you know, I always try to encourage students who are graduating from college. So that's one of the most difficult transitions. It's a very difficult totally. transition because now you, you have a million choices. And the truth is you're not going to choose the perfect path. You know, like out of all the 10 million choices, you know, options that you could pick, <laughs> You know what I mean? You're not going to pick the one that is the most perfect. Like, none of us can. Like, For sure. We're all, yeah. you know, we're all dummies in, in the in the grand scheme of things, right? And um, a lot, of, a lot totally. of life is people trying to pick that perfect path. And I just, mm. you know, I just think that's not exactly how God tends to see it. I don't think God's so mm. concerned, you know, if you're a banker or if you're a lawyer or if you're a pastor even you know and I'm, I'm not saying these decisions have no importance but i'm saying i just think these are the minor decisions in life the major decisions are the ones that we you know where we're choosing to prioritize our relationship with the lord we're choosing to forgive people yeah. we're choosing to be obedient um you know when he speaks to us we're choosing to prioritize his word and to try and live by it and we and we respond to conviction right these are the major decisions in our mm. life you know and they manifest in having, you know, real faith, right? I have faith that's vibrant. Mm. I love the Lord, right? I'm I'm walking this path. And so if if that's where we're doing well, even if it seems like, oh man, you know, this career path is not what I expected. Might I just got totally. you know let go from my job or whatever. And like I said, so many people have gone through so much of that over the past couple of years. And yeah. I just want to say I think it's gonna be worse in the future. You know, like I, I try and warn people, I think we're headed for, um, I think we're headed for major calamity and disaster, you know, and I, I hope also revival. I think both of those things are, are often intertwined. I think totally. we're headed for all of that. But my point is, I don't think our lives are going to go the way that we plan, you know? Yeah. And, um, I always want to say in humility, it's hard to tell the future. So I, I don't know for sure any of this, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but this is that's the sense I we have. know the words of Jesus, and that's pretty much what <laughs> yeah. we go with, huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, 
But I just want to encourage people, yeah. you know, if you have a vibrant love for the Lord, you're doing well. And if you know, like, your love has grown cold, man, this is the season. Revive revive that love, right? Surrender to the mm-hmm. Lord to prioritize Him again, you know, and yeah. get in the place yep. of, of prayer. And, um, you know, um, my hope is that the shaking is happening right now. So much shaking in the nation, but also in the church. So many churches, so totally. many ministries are being shaken. Like, we've seen, like, the very high-profile... Um, you yeah. know things like yep. with Hillsong and Ravi Zacharias, yeah. and it's like over and over. It just feels like blow after blow. The church is, but it just feels like it's shaking. Everything is being shaken right now, and I think that's because God's gonna um start building on a more stable foundation. And you know, yeah, early on in our discussion here, we talked about like why aren't the campus fellowships doing the gifts of the spirit, yeah. crying out for revival thing? And it's like. I, I just, I have great hope that God is, I've, he's changing the expression of Christianity. And totally. I have hope yep. that there's many leaders that are in training right now that are overcoming tests of faith in relative obscurity. Um, and I just want to encourage them, let's let's go through this. Let's go through this. Mm. Let's, let's be faithful when it doesn't impress anybody, when nobody is, you know, totally. you know, that's good. Praising us, right? Let's 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 focus on being faithful and having Jesus be our portion, right? He is my portion, mm-hmm. right? And you know, um, and I I just feel like that's the process that that's the process that we have to go through to, to get the character that we need. You know, like that's why Scripture says, "Rejoice yep. in your trials, rejoice in your tribulations," right? Knowing that these things build um, perseverance and perseverance character, right? And like you you have to go through this stuff. Right, you have to go totally. through it rightly, and so you know that's my encouragement. And yeah, you know, as you were talking, I was remembering like David. Um, David always encourages me, biblical David. You know, like, mm-hmm. like um, yeah, I was reading, I was reading some of um, First and Second Samuel this past week, and you yeah. know, David. It's like it's like so clear that God is is uh, guiding his life. You know, it's so clear, yeah. right? He's, you know, Saul falls into his hands twice. You know what I mean? Like, he could have killed him, right? Like, like he could have, the trial could have been <laughs> over right there, you know? Um, and, yeah. And, but you he st- could have ended it. He could have totally. ended it, yeah. But you still see that David is being is being trained. He's being trained, you know? And mm. at one point, I, I you know, I think it's hilarious, you know? He's like, dude, this guy Saul is going to kill me. Like, he's still afraid that God's going to let him get killed by <laughs> Saul, you know? So he's like, I'm going to go live with the yeah. Philistines, you know? Like, I'm I'm going to go live with the Philistines. And there's a season where he literally acts insane. You know, like he has mm. to pretend to be insane. And when I look at that season of David's life, I just have to think like, dude, I don't think that was the Lord's perfect will for his life. You know, I don't think like, I was like, David, in this season, I want you to act like you're completely crazy. You know, <laughs> might like, have been a little bit of his own will there. I think so. I think so. Obviously, I'm guessing, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, I think that was David like not knowing for sure what God wanted him yeah. to do and him just being like, I don't know what to do, but yeah, maybe living with the Philistines acting mm. crazy is my best chance to stay alive, you know? Yeah. And, um, and and to be clear, what David went through, like none of us have gone through anything close to what David went through, you know? Like I, totally. that guy went through the most crazy training and testing and showed such incredible faithfulness. I'm, I always get blown away when I read, you know, the stories mm. of these biblical heroes, like what they went through. And, um, yeah, but it always encourages my heart because I feel like sometimes like that, I'm like, yeah, like, 
That's so good. I was thinking I was thinking about Joseph, like the story of Joseph kind of popped in my head that Joseph the coat of many colors. Yeah. Um, just because like his story, you know, like you'd think when God gave him a dream and said, you know, you're going to have your family bow down and worship you. And it was like he saw all these things that happened in his dream multiple times. And then he goes and shares it with his family. I think a lot of people, even listening to this podcast, I know I fell into this category. And a lot of people have said, oh, your name's Joseph. So you you relate to that story. I'm like, no, but I really do. <laughs> because that story was like, you know, pit, prison, palace. And, and I always think of those three P's because a lot of times, like we think of like, oh, God gave me a dream, or maybe God did call you in a specific sphere of influence or society or business or ministry, whatever the case is. And he calls you into that and he gives you this dream. And then you're like, why am I in a pit? Yeah. Like, why, why am I in a pit? Like, why is it so dark? Why have I been sold into slavery? Like, this is not what I had planned, you know, like. And I think a lot of people go through that season where they're like, I'm being tested, I'm being trained, I'm being, you know, and it's not that God takes you and throws you into a pit. It's like, you know, he allows you to go through that pure purification and refining. And like you had said, in, in those days, blacksmiths would put the sword under fire and they let all the impurities fall off on the side. And it would be purified until it was completely 100% pure and ready for battle. And I think in that same sense, it's like whether you're in the pit, whether you're in the prison or whether you're in the palace, like Joseph remained faithful to God and, and he, you know, didn't sleep with Potiphar's wife. He interpreted someone's dreams and gave him the position of authority before himself. Like his heart remained pure and his heart remained right. And I think that story has encouraged me so much because even in this season of my life, it's like, yeah, it did did feel like I was in a pit for a long season, like yeah. a year, two years. And it's like, okay, now I've been moved to a prison. Why does it feel like everybody's against me? You know? And, um, yeah, it's just like, well, I, I know that God is working, right? The Bible says that he makes all things work for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So I know that he does that. Yeah. And he is a God that takes my ashes, creates beauty out of it. And so even in that season, I just wanted to encourage people, somebody who's listening right now and, and would know that, you know, whatever season you find yourself in those three P's, it's like whether you're in the pit, the prison, or you're about to be elevated to the palace, it's like God literally, he literally uses those things in your life to prepare you for the eternal reward and the eternity that he has set before you. And it's like nothing is wasted in the kingdom. That's right. We think, right, that Mary poured the perfume on Jesus's feet and the religious leaders and even the disciples joined in and said that could have been sold and given the money to the poor. And Jesus said, what she did will not be taken away from her. What does that mean? What was wasted will not be void or taken away. Yeah. And I feel like what God, you know, is is revealing to me even in this season is that like nothing is going to be wasted. We think that because something went wrong or something went bad, we have this failure mindset like, well, okay, well, I'm just going to move on and not think forgive and forget, right? And it's like, no, like God is going to use that and that's going to be the same sword the enemy came to destroy you with. You're now going to use to overcome and to use for his kingdom. And that is going to be a part of his story for your life. And it's like, you overcome and you you show the glory of God to people through your life and those really hard seasons and those those places when you're in the pit or the the prison 
and I'm using those terms loosely because I've never been in a pit or in a prison, but (laughs) yeah, like just when you're in those seasons, it's, it's really important that like, like you said, the most important thing you can do with Jesus is to remain obedient and to love him first and to just remain faithful to his word because everything else won't matter when you stand before him, what your leaders told you to do, what your friends told you to do, what your family told you to do. And I know that's so hard, especially being in Korean culture for a little while. Like I understand the family dynamic. Like I get it, you know, trying to go against your parents' wishes or against what your friends are telling you from coming from a very Eastern communal aspect. Like you don't do that. That's forbidden. So if it's against the Lord and if it's against the word of God, it's like remain faithful to Jesus no matter what, because he is the one you're going to answer to in the end. And so, you know, I think that that'll be really helpful for somebody because there's there's so many things where I, I questioned even the last two years of like, well, my leaders are against you. Well, my friends are against you. Well, my family's against you. Am I doing the right thing? Because you think like, well, these are people I trust and authority that I trust. And, you know, it's like, well, if I'm following Jesus and I'm obeying his word, and even if it's just Jesus on my side, I have my wife, but even if it's just Jesus on my side, like he is the only one that I need. And um, I can move forward in that. And so I hope that's encouraging. It's good, bro. Yeah, just a closing word. Like, um, all of us are going to go to judgment, right? And in humility, you know, um, in humility, we have to say, like, we don't know. Like, like I'm very theologically opinionated, right? Because I, I love the Bible and I love studying the Bible. Um, yeah. <laughs> but in humility, like, you know, who knows? Like, the Calvinists could be right. You know, like we're gonna find out on the day of judgment. You know, um, yeah. I don't think they're right, by the way. Like, <laughs> but they could be right. <laughs> Just in humility, a disclaimer. in humility, <laughs> right? I would say like they, they could be right. And um, you know, one of the things that always stands out to me is you know, blessed are the merciful, so for they sh- shall be shown mercy, right? And mm. I always tell the Lord that God, I want you to be so merciful to me <laughs> in my judgment. You know. <laughs> like, uh, that's that's honestly one of my motivations why I want to be merciful to other people, right? Totally. Like God, I really want you to be merciful to me, right? Scripture says, you know, don't mm. don't have many of you become teachers because you will have a stricter judgment, right? I would say, God, I want totally. like the most merciful judgment for teachers, you know, <laughs> like, right? like <laughs> you know, you realize, yeah, yeah. I mean, and you know, th- I I just want to say, like, when I when I look at your life, Steve. Um, Joe, sorry. Um, when I look at your life, I'm like, I'm I'm so impressed by so many of the decisions mm-hmm. that you've made, brother. And the truth is, both of us, we could be wrong, and the Lord, um, you know, the Lord will show us on the day of judgment. Obviously, I don't think we are, right? I I think we're I think we're doing right, and um, but I say that you know, as long as we continue to forgive, right, to show mercy, to keep our hearts soft yeah. before the Lord. I have a lot of confidence, right, that he's going to be gracious, right? He's going to be gracious to us. And um, and yeah. that's a beautiful thing, right? Because all of us need the Lord's correction sometimes, right? And all of us need his encouragement and affirmation. There are going to be times where all of, for all of us, if we're really following the Lord, where we're going to have to stand on what the Lord said, even though, um, you know, even though we anger people, right? And every, yeah. every hero of the Bible did that different times, right? And yeah. there are going to be times where the Lord has to correct us, right? And that's one of the, like, the super impressive things of a lot of these heroes of Scripture, like David, right? I, I always get blown away by David, you know, like, 
he stood on the word of the Lord so many times in his life, right? Saying, no, we're not going to kill Saul, right? No, we're going, we're going to follow the Lord here. We're going to follow that. Even that when his, his own army is resisting him. And yet he still has the humility to receive correction from Nathan, right? To receive correction. Mm. And he had that humility before the Lord that where he could receive correction, but he had that boldness before men where he could stand, even though it was unpopular, right? And even though at, at in certain seasons, like totally. he was against the grain. And um, I think it's a beautiful thing, bro. And, I just want to say, like, I, I see the Lord building that type of leadership in your life, and I'm hopeful for you, man, that um, that God, mm. that God um, has his hand on your life, and he's going to be using you in whatever way that he wants to, but just want to say I'm proud of you, homie. Yeah, I appreciate it, Pastor Dennis. Thank you so much for just talking with me about it and, you know, just allowing me to encourage and share my heart, and hopefully my story encourages somebody to... Hold fast to Jesus and not let go. So. For sure, yeah. We'll we'll have mm-hmm. you on. Obviously, there's a lot of other things um, we could talk about because uh, we have For a lot sure. of areas where we have some um, some of the things that we're fascinated by. So we'll have you back on and we'll 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 talk some more, huh? For sure, it sounds great. All right.